everyone, and thanks for joining me for another great conversation. My next guest has been fighting the good fight for a very long time. He is the founder of Pride Productions Incorporated, and he is the executive producer at Unity Radio, which is a radio station here in my hometown of Worcester. He dedicated most of his life to basically empower young adults, specifically in the communications field, to give them opportunities that they would not normally receive. I introduce to you guys the very knowledgeable and humble Ernest Floyd. stuff so ernie thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it i mean it's rare where you know you can reach out to somebody nowadays that you don't know at all and get a response that's a hell yeah let's do this so i appreciate it man yeah i appreciate it too for you reaching out and taking the time to do this because um you're right it's one of my pet peeves is basically if i extend something to try to contact someone uh whether you're interested or not at least say no (laughs) yeah exactly seems basic but nobody follows that rule yeah, no, no one follows that. So I guess it's fortunate in this, in this case we're at least talking, you know. So yeah, exactly. So, welcome. Now I'm really I'm really excited about this conversation because of what you're doing not only for the community but the community that I live in, which is which is Worcester. Um, but before we delve into any of that, can you you know let the people know about you a little bit? Yeah, I'm originally from Roxbury, Massachusetts. I arrived here about seventy nine eighty, nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty ish or so, and fortunate enough. To, to earn a athletic scholarship um, at the College of the Holy Cross here in Worcester. Oh, nice. And I uh, played four years there. And then at the same time, um, had a great education and developed valuable relationships that I still cherish today. I have a group text with a number of, uh, of former um, ball players, And you can tell when, the, when it's the season because my phone is, is, is buzzing. or one in the morning or two because they're all around the country you know so it's pretty interesting and they're always commenting about the basketball so yeah i had uh, i've been involved with that and then after that i was fortunate to be drafted you know fifth round by the milwaukee bucks tried out and then that was a brief very brief stint and then uh, i was drafted fifth round and fortunate enough and then uh they felt there was some interest there and then i went to europe and i came back home to worcester so with all that taking place in that time frame and i uh really wanted to get involved with the community and i had the community bug uh when i returned because of the fact that um at the time worcester was going through some changes with uh, with youth and the city and relationships kind of similar like what's going on today you know it just all cycles around i guess and continuing to this day and so I was involved with a number of different nonprofit organizations involving, we'll say, quote unquote, the good kids. Okay. And the other youth that were in the community, they wanted a voice too. And they weren't really making a lot of noise. They just wanted to, they just wanted to have a voice and find themselves, you know, and they weren't really welcomed in the nature of what they were trying to do. So I put my neck out on the line and I'm, I'm a really youth advocate and I was trying to help them. And this is about, 1990, about this time, and I was working at a communications entity. I was selling cable advertising at a, a local com- cable company here, uh, USA, MTV, CNN, of that sort. So that was my professional career. And I, I started that and I ended that about 14 years overall. I would say about 2000, 1999, 2000, I ended it. And that's when I really got hardcore into the community. But Back in 1994, I incorporated as a nonprofit entity, and that's called Pride Productions. 
and my first effort was to create a half an hour TV show involving youth and community. And they hosted it and I went around recording it and producing it. And we did it originally out of the Ionic App Boys and Girls Club. And I received my um, support from Shrewsbury Public Access out there at the time. And we had a good running stint in combination of me working at the cable company. I had a chance to have it aired on channel three. So it was reaching all, not only Worcester, but all the 22 surrounding communities around Worcester. Yeah, it was a big, big popular show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then from there, you know, um, the, I would say uh, during that stint, I evolved in not only producing the show, but then I, I um, ended up finding a location at the Ionic Gap Boys and Girls Club. And then soon afterwards would be the former Worcester Common Outlets, which was the mall. So mm-hmm. I went from 400 square feet of space to 4,000, to 4, actually. One side dedicated to PCs, one dedicated to Macs. And I was just really threw myself into just empowering young people through communications in multimedia at the time. And then eventually um, the mall closed and we had to go with it. And we ended up getting property over the Dent Home building. Mm-hmm. This is about 2005 by this time. And then 2010, uh, we were still fulfilling some of the agreements we had. I was teaching and offering uh, GED programs, um, work, uh, employment uh, training for our young people. And I was in partnership with UPS as too as well. And, and, and also the city of Worcester through the Workforce Central at the time, which is called Mass Hire. And then I'd say about 2010, I just said, okay, I'm gonna wrap it up. I think I'm done, but I kept my nonprofit status. And after two years, I started back up 2012, 2013. Um, and I said that I, maybe I'm not done. I want to try something else as far as continuing our, our, our efforts. And we had a strategic plan. I had a grassroots group of people that was with me and radio became a factor. And then I would say about 2013, 14, we pursued it. We received our license in 2015 uh, called LPFM, Low Power FM License. So we were, we were internet based for two years, 2017. Uh, we went on the air for the first time at City Hall covering one of the city elections. And then uh, we were operating out of Becker College uh, at that time. And then 2018, we moved downtown um, in, near the rear of Mechanics Hall, where we operate there now. And then um, 2019, we changed our number from 102.9 to 97.9 FM right now. And we're streaming at WTY979FM.org. We still continue offering the youth component as far as training. We call it the Alliance Media Group. So we have a number of interns coming from high school and college that come down and help produce the shows. And we have a variety of different shows there. So my main effort right now, the community and my contribution is is to operate the radio station called Unity Radio. And that's where we are. That's incredible. That's There is a ton to unpack there. First of all, you took me down memory lane when you were talking about places like, you know, the fashion outlets, the Worcester Common Outlets and, uh, you know, Ionic Boys and Girls Club. So I'm, I'm here <laughs> glued in down memory lane. Um, but there's one question that stuck out to me that I really wanted, would love to ask you as somebody who went to the NBA, as somebody who is well-traveled, as somebody who obviously was, you know, in business with big companies, you named some of the big uh, television networks at the time. Why? Uh, what makes an individual like that, like you said, stick their neck out for a cause that some people would say is often overlooked, which is the youth? Is that just like a personal project or did it just hit you one day? Oh, no. I, I think what happened was when I was in college, um, I had a pretty decent stint in college, too, as being a well-known, popular um, 
athlete and playing basketball there as well. And in some instances, there were a number of instances I was requested to go out and speak to people at different functions and speaking to the youth at that time too as well. Okay. It really started back when I was in before I would say between 70, 79, between 1970 and 79. Um, it was my unique childhood experience was I was experiencing people coming up to me and offering me all kinds of opportunities. I played on a very popular basketball team back then. They didn't have AAU, but it was it was a AAU type framework, if okay. you will. And uh, it was a popular basketball team back then in the in the community in the city. And I attended a very popular performance art school called the Elman Lewis School of Fine Arts, you know? Okay. And they just had its 50th anniversary. There's a flagship program called Black Nativity um, that I participated in many moons ago. And we was about to feature it here in Worcester this past this past winter, unfortunately, due to circumstances, you know, worldwide, not only locally, here as well. Okay. Um, so um, it was always, I was always provided opportunity to, to whether it was a scholarship to go to, to go to school or a job or perform after school. And I just was surrounded by people just offering me opportunity after opportunity. And the difference between someone being successful in some instances and not is I took advantage of those opportunities, which led me to, you know, free education, which led me to traveling the world, which led me into a lot of different, opened a lot of doors for me in communications and media and and I met good people and being associated with a lot of different youth agencies. And I felt as though that that I was fortunate enough to experience that. And so I wanted other people to experience it as well. And through that, um, I said that uh, I would create these avenues here in Worcester. And sometimes the doors weren't open for young people in the community to experience these things. And I couldn't figure out why. So I said, well, if they're not being opened by other individuals, I took it upon myself to say, well, you know, I'll create it and open the doors and see if they'll walk through. And I can say today, I have a number of students uh, of people that I've known over the years, over 20, 25 years I've been doing this, that they've close to 30 actually, that now are professionals in the uh, medical field, the auto industry, the entertainment recording industry, and as well as, the, um, as, well as the education as well. So I'm really proud to, to, to say that. Yeah, actually, I believe the way we were connected was actually one of those great stories. Um, so shout out to her for that. Um, but that that's incredible. So I, Ernie, was one of those individuals that I guess you would call uh, what, what you said. Let's call him the bad kid, right? I was one of the bad kids. Um, I actually never heard of, you know, the opportunities that you were presenting and stuff. How was it that you was going out at that time and actually trying to get people interested um, and basically changing their life? Was there a certain way to doing it or? Well, when you're changing people's lives and, and, and everyone has, everyone's motivated by something that they've experienced or motivated by something that they have of interest. My interest was communications. And through that, I was always a fan of television. I was always a fan of video. And so I just, you know, I, I learned it from being in the industry for selling cable advertising. And I would say my third year in, uh, I mastered the sales of it, but I needed another piece to balance my life at the time because I was focusing on just work, work, work. And I finally figured it out. But, but, I, but the calling in the community at the time where, where people were just, young people especially, were looking for something. And at the time, they were fighting a certain population was fighting with the city of Worcester overall. And it was always in the paper, the Worcester Youth Center or 
some organization was fighting with the city establishment. I call it the establishment. <laughs> and I was fortunate enough to be in the industry. And at the same time, I said, well, let me try and see if I can do something. So I duplicated a TV show that was on BET. And I called it Youth Unity. At the time, the show on BET was called Teen, Teen Summit. And I duplicated it. And I think it was a combination of, going back to your question, how I was able to do it. I think my basketball or my athletic competitiveness piece of that came in, whereas, you know, if someone else failed on it and they weren't going to be able to do it, I'm going to say, I try to prove to myself, okay, you couldn't do it, but I'm going to prove to myself that I can do it. Right. So I had a little bit of that behind it as far as my efforts go on trying to create a project. And I felt pretty comfortable in, in, in doing that. And even though I, I received a lot of backlash at the time too as well, it got so bad one time that when I tried to create one of the locations over off of Stafford and James Street. It's in the paper too as well. They try to change the zoning laws. That's how bad of me to operate. So, you know, think about it. You're trying to go into a, a we'll say a strip mall and it's zoned for retail. And you're trying to put a business in this retail strip mall, which is zoned for. And all of a sudden the city council is coming out because they don't like what you're trying to put in there. They're trying right. to change the zoning laws so that it would reflect manufacturing we'll say <laughs> sure sure and why would they not i mean in your opinion of course because there could be a million reasons but why would they not want that to happen here in their city well, well quote unquote their city they I, i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna be up front and this is what i said this before too is they because in the nature of what i was doing it was, it was basically a, a facility that's going to offer um communications there yeah i really wanted to highlight the tv show because the tv show would have been a, a chance to allow people to see what's going on inside a facility, which will have been different than other people operating their youth centers because you won't know the effects until you actually walk through the doors, okay? Right. So in my case, I was going to do a combination of both. But then when they saw me, they thought I was a billboard to invite every nationality, brown and black, into their community. And they just was like, Ernie, we saw you play basketball at Holy Cross and you were great and we had season tickets, but the initiative that you're trying to do for young people in this community, we just don't want it in our neighborhoods without even hesitation. They share, they share, yeah. you know, and I said, okay, I can respect that. And, you know, and that's just the fear, you know, and the six, nine guy, you know, African-American person such as myself walking around talking about empowering youth. I guess they weren't used to that. You know, like, where's this guy coming from? Yeah, it seems it seems threatening. Now that th this is the first time I've heard somebody actually with a cause talk about these things because, you know, now with all the polarism that uh, polarization that's going on nowadays, there's a lot of people that would say that um, minorities are basically just victim blaming themselves, right? They're just, you know, and you're telling me that it's no, this is actually a thing. There's actually people that don't want to see you know certain individuals get to a certain spot. Is that is that correct? I, oh, of course, I experienced it myself, yeah, and. I, you know, I kind of kid half-heartedly by saying, you know, I've been there when they were throwing rocks and tomatoes at me, you know. Yeah. As, as a metaphorical way, you know, whereas it's like, they didn't care who I was. They they liked me as a person. Um, they liked me as what I contributed to them. What they felt was safe was the, they went to the games that I played at and competed at and the college I attended. And um, when I graduated, I was in a community, they found it admirable, but they just didn't wish to have they would say at that time that element in our neighborhoods they were in fear you know and um or one political person would say why don't you just put that under the church that's in that neighborhood or why oh, don't boy. you just go under um father such and such or something i said no i said i want to create something where i can be in control and i i can 
I understand where these kids are coming from, the sources that they need. Why can't we just do this? What's the big deal? You know, exactly. The person said to me in, in at that time, you know, in a very lead position would say, you know something? Okay. If that's what you're going to do, you go ahead and do that. But I'm going to make sure it doesn't succeed. I'm going I'm to make sure it fails. This is a city official telling me this, you know? Oh, wow. Out of oh, city. Wow. You know, I'll, I'll go as far as that at that time. And it's in the paper too. So, so we had them. Uh, and, and then at that time, the city had these walkthroughs, you know, in the perspective of different neighborhoods. In this particular neighborhood, Saffron and James Street, they had a walkthrough. And so the walkthrough meaning the fact that the city fish, like the mayor, city council, yep. chief of police, uh, fire chief, uh, the residents there in the area. And if they had any concern, they would walk through, you know, a certain area and have discussions. Well, obviously, I was the number one target at that time. So they would come into the facility. Yeah. But they didn't know that I called my constituents. I called my friends because <laughs> yeah. I knew that <laughs> by walking in this facility and being there and I knew the time and what they were going to do. And my friends showed up, too. So it was, I was it was crazy where I'm standing in this uh, practically abandoned building, you know, and I have on one side opposition and one side I have people that was for it. You know, and yeah. I stepped back and they was just the, the city manager, at the t- uh, mayor at the time was standing there and they said, OK, everyone that's for it, you stand over here. Everyone that's against it, you stand over there. And they went to town saying why it's important for kids to have a place. Another group was saying what their fears were. And I'm standing in the middle like, wow, this is serious stuff. You know, yeah. and then there was a couple of meetings that came out, um, whereas one time over uh, our ladies uh, parish over there by um, Main Street. Yep. And before I walked in, the police officer stuck his hand out and pushed me in my chest, you know, uh, respectfully, you know, and said, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in this meeting, but the, you're the number one target, he says, that you're talking about. Oh, boy. I was like, really? He says, yeah. So when I walked in, it was almost like a congressional political hearing at White, at the White House or something like that. They had a long table in this auditorium, you name it. School superintendent was there. Uh, they had a state rep there, the fire chief, uh, the police chief, uh, the principal, oh, wow. you know, neighborhood leaders, and out in the audience was all the residents. And anything short of that meeting was was uh, sticks and chains. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. To what they were talking about. And they were concerned about me opening up a youth center in that facility. And they came out, and they were scared, you know, in reference to what I was proposing. I'm saying... You're having these problems in your neighborhood. People are defacing property. People are vandalizing property, which happens to be the same people. The parents that were complaining about me was happened to be their kids defacing property and, and creating vandalism. I all, all I said was, I'm trying to create a, a, a facility for them to attend so that they can keep them busy. If they're busy with me two or three or four hours, that means there's two or three or four hours. They're not out in the streets uh, wreaking havoc. You know Exactly. Yeah, they're distracted. They didn't get that. And so, um, yeah. And, and, and that was my experience. And, and it's in the paper. If you look it up and document it and look back at the, go to the library, it's all all there. And you're like, wow, it's, it was a crazy time. And now, now the weirdest thing to me is, is that, um, and it shouldn't matter anyways, but say, you know, you just came right off the street and you were a hustler that basically, you know, started doing youth events and stuff. I would see a better argument in them saying, hey, you just don't have the credentials to do this. But you had the credentials and then some. You actually, like you said, played in Holy Cross. You were in higher network, you know, tiered people, and they still had a problem with what you were doing. That's they, insane. They did not care. And and it was just, and don't forget too, me 
being an individual and a few grassroots people, and it was a voting uh, season at that time, I'm only one person, you know, and these political people were just using me as a platform for them to get votes too as well. And I wasn't hip to the game at that time. As I look back, you know, I'm sure. looking at this, I'm like, hmm, I, I think I got a lot of people voted, <laughs> uh, you know, at that time. Yeah. It was sad because I try to make it as simple as possible and they wanted to complicate it even more and complicate it even more. And they just wasn't used to a person of color walking in that community. This, I, this is how, this is what happened one time. I set up and, and a friend, this is, I had a friend and they were prof- professionally and personally, I, I would sort of consider my friend and they were um, one of my clients and they offered me the building to, um, to offer it. And they thought it was a great idea. So okay. I put it in the paper. I called the paper and I called the city of Worcester and I staged a, like a cleaning, if you will. And some kids came over and they started throwing rubbish into the, the, uh, the garbage truck, um, city garbage truck at the time. The city came, I mean, a telegram came, came take, took pictures and it did a story. He thought that was admirable. Kids cleaning out a facility to create a home for themselves so that they can have a safe haven, right? Sure. Hit the paper, oh my goodness. That was the worst thing that could have ever happened. It was like so many people in the neighborhood came out against it. And that was how they were alerted, almost in a sense, kind of like alerting a, a butters. Yeah. <laughs> kind of put something in someone's property when the, in the target area. And they came out and they just like, what's going on? Uh, and they banded together in that community like nobody's business. And that's where the meetings came up at, at the church, as I said earlier. And, yeah. and, and they came out and they were marching in the streets too. In some instances, they staged stuff and they had flyers up because at the time, you know, internet wasn't as it is today. They put flyers up on the poles and stuff and they had marches and stuff to prevent me from opening up at the facility. You know, now, did they lean on anything, any big part of the argument? Like, were they saying, hey, you know, we feel, you know, you're taking advantage of our children? Like, is, was there something that they leaned on? Oh, yeah. They leaned on the fact that and it was kind of, it was kind of flattering at the same time. But at the same time, I think they gave me way too much credit. They thought I was a billboard. And I think, and I said this in the paper, I think one time too, I think the thing I was a billboard that I was going to be an alley for everybody in the city of color and including Ripper Valley, that they were going to march down all the way from Ripper Valley, down Park Ave, down Main Street, that everybody, I was going to capture every brown and black child in the city of Worcester was going to come to that facility. That was the wow. main concern. With black and brown children coming to their facility. I grew up in the Valley, so I wish you would have came by in that. <laughs> yeah. And that's all, that's all the kids wanted. But they had no one advocating for them in the sense that um, uh, that someone would fight for them in, in that manner, you know? And it was kind of like, you had a lot of different uh, scenarios. You had um, low income versus um, high income. You had um, power versus the powerless. You yeah. had uh, um, people who were privileged, the non-privileged. There was so many different barriers and so many different cliches that was going on at the same time, all mixed into one. Yeah. And, it was just it was just crazy at that time, you know. Just crazy. Now, you sound like you were outnumbered. Did you? you know, was yeah. there a lot of people back in your cause? <laughs> uh, was there anybody back in your cause where you're on your own in this venture? I, I was kind of like on my own. I had a few couple of grassroots people, and I knew some of the political constituents, you know, like that. But okay. you know, I'm that shoot, man. I was only one vote, and they had and the other people, you know, they banned again. They were their votes for that city councilor that wanted to have me not enter into that property on uh, in that location. And to the point where they went down and tried to change the zoning laws, that, that's pretty strong, you know. That's insane. Entitled to go and operate a business, 
in a retail establishment, a zone for retail, and then you don't like my spaghetti and meatballs, if you will. And so now you're going to change it to be a manufacturing zone where I can only open up in a manufacturing facility. That's how bad it was. That's outrageous. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, if it's the same strip that I'm thinking of, didn't they have uh, like a uh, a porno video store there, like a Gallo video or something like that? You know something? <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna mention that, and that's so funny that you should say that because you know something in the same location. You're right, and and that was a, a client that was uh, not my client, but he they were advertising as a company at the time on cable TV. And you're right, the video store went in. They had yeah. no problem. There's a liquor store directly across the street at the busy corner. No yep. problem. I'm trying to put in a positive, safe haven environment for young people. Uh, and that neighborhood at the time was noticed for vandalism, noticed for um, defacing and graffiti and stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to provide a location for them to, to give those kids something to do, basically. Yeah. And they weren't having it. But you're right. There was a video store that actually went into the same location. It took the location. And it was a liquor store across the street. They had no problem with those two entities in its place. But long as Ernie Floyd was not bringing in black and brown children in their neighborhood and in that facility congregating, you know, stupid stuff like, well, the music's going to be so loud in here because at the time the building had a hole outside and you kind of like, it was kind of like web framing in, in, in a building and it had maybe a little patch yeah. a hole that you can, you couldn't even see through the building, but it had a hole. And someone said, the music's going to be so loud that it's going to bleed through that hole and it's going to consume the whole community that I'm like, wow, I don't know what type of sound system that I was going to have in there. <laughs> do that, you know, it was just, just that's all the ignorance and outrageousness that they had and the fear that they had at the time, you know? So, but, yeah. Now that you say ignorance, that was going to be my next question is how much of this do you think it was just them being ignorant to, you know, the struggle of a, of a, you know, a minority quote unquote, or is it, you know, that it was systemic and they actually had an, an intention. It, it was systemic. And it, it, once again, it's the haves versus the have-nots, which is sad. You know, okay. the haves yeah. versus the have-nots. They, you know, they, there's a privileged few people in the city uh, or privileged large group of people. And, and if they have the authority and if they have the ear to the politicians that make the rules and regulations and the procedures and the laws and everything else, and, you know, and they have their ear and their vote, and, and it goes back to to us, and I'm gonna say it up front that you know we have a history of saying, okay, we're not gonna vote due to whatever, you know, voting, and it's not gonna work or it doesn't count. But you know something, vote does count, and if you get together and you find someone that's gonna be a spokesperson for you or that community, and you believe in their values and they're a person of color, you gotta vote that person in, so at least get an ally at the table. If not. You know, um, they're going to find somebody else to defend them and they're going to vote for them, put their money up, go down to the campaign, I mean, and go down to the, into the, to the voting booths and they're going to vote that person in. And we're outside, you know, looking in again, trying to figure out why things get done uh, for other people and not for us, because we don't put our, our friends or or, our constituents or whomever into elected positions. And that's where the, where the change is. But yet we're taught. And we're telling ourselves, well, we're not going to vote because it's not going to count. And that's powerful coming from from you with the story that you just gave us because you've actually lived through this, right? Like there's a lot of people, especially now with social media being the podium for everything. There's a lot of people that just read a few books and then try to spew off at the mouth of this stuff. You know, oh, injustice and all this. You actually live this. Well, it's funny you should say that. And I'm going to tell you this as well is because this past season, we experienced a lot of 
rallies, we'll call it, down sure. in the and the surrounding towns. And, you know, the weather's nice and people are putting their fists in the air and they're walking with their children and their family members and, and friends. And I get it, you know, and that's great. And they're speaking uh, eloquently and, and they have some force behind it and they have a strong message and people are cheering. And it's multicultural, it's diverse, and now people are supporting the cause, which is awesome, you know. But I, I'm impressed. I would be more impressed when the when the polls open up and the political season comes around, and I want to see that same effort being applied to 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 your feet marching to the polls. If not, all that's for not. That was only 10, 15 minutes of fame, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, or destroying people's property, whatever the case may be. In, in addition to that. And that's all you got out of it. You know, you get your speaking engagement, you, you videotaped it, you can put it in your file, stir it away, you know, and say that's what you did. Yeah. So that's what the cause was. But until um, the weather gets a little bit cold and because it's usually colder right at the time, right around the time when you're voting. Yep. And so if you can get out of bed, go down there and vote and march down there and get somebody into office, I'll be impressed. But other than that, this other stuff that, that's been going on, I'm not impressed. Yeah, it can. But the problem is, is that nowadays is a clout chase thing, right? Now it's like, hey, I will go down there and walk with, you know, other people and put my fist up so that I could post it on my Instagram. Yeah. And say, and, and, and they, oh, sometimes some instances you get some institutions that say, okay, I'll, I'll, I can't do anything, but I'll give you money. Here, here's a couple of bucks. And yeah, I feel good that I can, I can give you money to support you. And that's okay, you know, or yeah. okay, I can march with you. But you know something? The thing about it is find a candidate in the community uh, and advocate for that candidate um, that may be representative of your ideals and your goals or ideal person that could um, politically fight for you. And that's where it happens is in, is in the office. It makes no sense going out there saying all these different things and being on the news, whereas politically you can take that same power. Just imagine if they took all those rallies that they did this past season, yeah. they took those numbers, and made them eligible voters. And if they're all, you know, some were eligible voters, you took that, you know how many people of color would be in office in the city of Western law? Right. You would think. You know, uh, you know at least two or three um, in, in school committee as well. But yeah. they don't take that mentality saying, well, I'm not going to vote due to, because of, because it, my vote doesn't count. And it's like, <laughs> but yet you're going to go out and march and fight against the establishment. Those people are not in there because it's, because they uh, put themselves there. They're in there because people voted them in. You can right. vote out just as much as you vote a person in. And for some reason, they don't get it, man. Yeah, well, I, it's either they don't get it or a lot of the times they just build a huge dependency on these people, right? And then I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that human beings hate to do is to admit they're wrong. Right. So they, they'll vote somebody in when they, you know, in a different time in their life, when they felt a different way. And then they lean into that person so much that they wouldn't just say, hey, I got to get this guy out of here. I was wrong. They'd rather just say, no, I'm going to keep being wrong, but you won't know about it. That type of feeling. Yeah. But the thing about it is, they, you know, you're right. Some people have to start admitting and being real because now it's to the point where, you know, back in the day when they fought, they fought and they really sacrificed, you know, they sure did. There were yep. water holes and they, they were being bit by dogs and they were being pushed and shot and killed and everything else. And today it's like, it's the same struggle and the same fight, but it, it's, it's a different type of nuance, different type of fight in some instances. It's so divided. You don't yeah. know which person to follow, what lane to follow now, which path. It's almost kind of like being at Kelly Square. Okay, which lane do you take? You go, you're going to take the, 
um, um, Madison Street? Are you going to take? Yeah, right. Are you going to take Green? Street? Which one is he going to go? You know, yeah. it's like it's hard. And if you do speak out against somebody, then sometimes or, or the cause, then sometimes you get backlash from your own people. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. They'll start throwing out labels. Absolutely. Oh, they start throwing labels. Or if you decide to go ahead and do something um, and make an initiative, and it might be the good thing to do, but then in their eyes, since you didn't include them in it, then it's kind of like, well you're doing it the wrong way because I expected you to do it this way versus that way. But then again, they don't put themselves out there, but yet they'll criticize the person who's making the effort. You know, I experienced that too as well, even, you know, recently. You Absolutely. Know, yeah. It's crazy. It's so it then, like, well, I'm not going to fight for anything. I'm going to just, just sit on the side and then there's other people just fight. But then after all, he's fine. There's no foundation, you know, in the end, Jose, no foundation. And what are you fighting for? And then it gets political and, and then other people coming for their own agenda, then they're starting to destroy property. And that's not what it's about, destroying yeah. property and going crazy. And before you know it, what do you really have? It's a mess. And then I feel that the only people that actually win in these situations are the very politicians that we're, you know, supposedly fighting for. Because, it, you know, if you, like you said, in the past, there was real fighting. It was, you know, groups of people, crowds of people. If you were to realize that we are much stronger as a group of people than we are fighting with each other and divided, then you would understand that this is just a show. And in order for them to continue the show, and what I mean by them are the politicians and the leaders that are getting away with this stuff, if you want if you want the show to end, you need to take the audience away. We continue to give them this audience. We continue to free campaign for, you know, arguing with our family members, especially during this political season. Um, and my favorite line during this whole weird year and season, political season that I tell my wife is, human beings are just strange individuals. Human beings are just very, very weird on how we think things and how, we, like you said, sometimes we need to take action and we don't take action. We psych ourselves out. Very strange. It is strange and it's sad because um, there's a lot of instances. We have a lot of power. The black and brown people have a lot of power. But are they willing to really go out and really, you know, exercise that power, you yeah. know, and really engage themselves? But not only just do that, but do it the right way strategically, you know? I remember a couple of years ago when they were marching on Main Street, I was working, I could tell you, 2013, 14, I think it was, um, Main uh, Clark University students walked out and they took over Main Street. About 300 students just walked outside, walking down Main Street, stopping yep. traffic. You know? I remember that. Yep. And then Boston was marching. And then uh, around the country, people were marching. It's kind of similar to what's going on today. And so I got out there. And I was like, what's going on? It was marching because they were protesting. And I said, okay, all right then. I said, well, what's going to happen after that? They didn't They didn't have a plan. I said, it would be <laughs> nice if, if you came into the facility I was working at and then had a plan in ref to you know, what you're fighting for and say, okay, what's plan B? Plan B is we want to put somebody in office. Plan B is how do we do that? We want to have a registration rally and get people registered, you know, and then, and then, uh, you know, with some type of conscious educational, you know, uh, strategic way to take those 300 Clark students, get them into uh, being official voters and then finding someone to, to vote for. All they did was walk down the street, disrupt traffic, police came out, um, they, they did their wall, had their canes in their hands, they sat down on the street, and that's all it was. And then eventually they ended up walking down Main Street, opening up Main Street, and walking in front of City Hall, yelling and screaming and shouting. But in the end, is there a political candidate in position? No. Is there, how are you supposed to change this down? If you're going to fight the establishment, you're gonna, you can't fight it by yelling at it. 
You can't fight it by throwing rocks at it. You got to get in there. And how do you get in there? You got to vote somebody in. You can vote somebody in, you know, to get in there. But but don't forget what I said earlier. The mentality is, well, I'm not going to vote because I vote don't count. So it's kind of like an oxymoron. I, I just don't get it, you know? Yeah, very strange. So uh, I'm glad you said that, you know, black and brown people have a lot of power. Uh, one of the ways that I, you know, talk to, you know, to people about it is through the culture, through hip hop culture. So I, I grew up in Great Book Valley. So I was definitely, you know, uh, around hip hop culture. And to me, hip hop culture is everything. But f- the difference from when I was a kid to what it is now is that, you know, the culture makes everything cool. The culture makes everything pop. If you look across the board from media um, to music to, av- I mean, I just saw Travis Scott selling cheeseburgers from McDonald's. Um, and that's one of the ways that I've noticed over time that yes, black and brown people have, if not more power than they think than the majority of the power and they need to realize it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And it's all, how it's used. It's kind of interesting. You say that he's doing McDonald's, but then again, back in the day, hip hop in the early, I would say, uh, like we'll say this, the early eighties, we'll say late seventies, early eighties, um, hip hop, um, you wouldn't dare cross doing um, mainstream anything. You're you right. Yeah. It was like, it was either A in the hood or in that neighborhood, in that community, and that was it. And so if you were like an MC Hammer and all of a sudden you started dancing before you know it, you're getting the MC Hammer doll and you're, and you're doing MC Hammer commercials, they were like, whoa, what are you talking about? You're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? That's not what we're about. You're on the other side now. You're supposed to be in the hood and you're right. not in the hood. But now, do now is fast forward. A lot of yeah. people are now doing main, mainstream stuff now too themselves, you know? Yeah, so now in your opinion, since you you saw that, because I do agree with you 100%, how much of it do you think is selling out and how much of it is, you know, the culture just spilling out into more avenues? But that's funny you should say that because what is what is the definition of sellout and what's the definition of growth and what's the definition of economic growth with what you would do with anything of, of you, of yourself as an individual or or as a company branding itself to expand? It's like if you're going to sell this milk product, is it just going to be for that town and that town only of uh, the residents of that com- of, of that small community? Yep. Or if you branch out and say, you know something, there's other people that want to enjoy that same milk product in the surrounding towns. And then before you know it, you're regional and maybe a statewide. And or someone's going to come and say, no, that milk is only going to be designated for our town and our community only. And, and if you go outside of that, you're a sellout. Well, well what is a sellout? Is a sellout is uh, someone who, who who's not going to stay you know, close to their roots and where the milk was developed? Or right. you're going to get into economic uh, growth and that is to expand your product and build your business, you know? And Hammer yeah. did that, but then it was frowned upon. But then again, nowadays, most of those people are, are using mainstream and to branch out and to, to grow their product. Yeah, I think it's expected for you to always be, um, especially like in your neighborhoods when you come from, you know, you know, ghettos and lower impoverished areas. I think people want you to be that same person all the time and never grow. Um and if you do come back, there's this double-edged sword where if you do come back, you're loved, but then your security is at risk, right? Because we're more possessions, more threat. But then if you go the other route and just continue to blossom out into other avenues and other bigger expanses, then those people in your neighborhood are going to call you a sellout. Yeah. Well, it goes across where it starts at the small level too, where it's, okay, you go into school and what do you go to school for? The better yourself. Where you go to school, the better yourself for what? So that you can have 
maybe a home one day, or maybe you could build your own business one day. And just the basic intellect of intelligence that you want to grow naturally as an individual, you should be able to do that. That's the basic educational principle way. You at least think so, right? So then, yeah. you know, then there's, there's a learning difference between one person versus another. So then one may excel or exceed past another person. And if you're able to take that education component and, and become very successful at it and you're very versed in it, then you're looked upon as the one that's less versed. It's kind of like, well, oh, you're acting white because now white people right. have this um, reputation of being smart. And then you keep um, continuing to keep yourself in prison in your mind by saying, well, black people are continuing to be uh, are being known to be stupid. So, and so we're going to stay stupid and we're going to stay non-educated because of the fact that we're, we're going to stay in this together as a group, you know, because, but if you exceed past that and go past that, then it's kind of like, well, you're white, you sell out, you know, you're furthering education. We want you to drown like the rest of us. You know, that's why they always say that, you know, like the crab in the barrel, you know, I was pulling the next person down and it starts yeah. as early as that, you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah. How much of that do you think is just human tendency thing? And how much of that do you think it's, you know, black and brown people pulling each other down, out? Well, I've been telling you, I think it's, there's an old saying, you're a product in your environment, you know? So basically is depending upon, and you started out by asking me who, who I was and what I was about in yep. the very, very beginning. And I was very fortunate that people empowered me when I was a young person. I had a person walk up to me and say, Hey, you're interested in going to Penn state, you know? And through a football scholarship or basketball scholarship, or you, and, and I had a person recruit me to play one of the most prominent basketball teams in the community. And then I played, and then I performed at one of the most prominent performing art centers in that community, and so forth and so on. So I was introduced to all this stuff, you yeah. know, and that's where I, that's what I know, and I know what it did for me. And I feel as though that the recipe, you know, ingredients that was ingrained in me, I'm trying to ingrain that in the people here in the city of Worcester. And it's worked and they've achieved it. And does it, is it for everybody? No. Is it for some? Yeah. It all depends upon how you, how you spoon fed. And sure. some people will taste it and they like it. They'll, they'll continue it. And some people will taste it and they might not like it. So now I'm going to go a different direction. But everyone's entitled to use whatever they need to use, whether it's information, whether it's direction from your parents, direction from people in the community. Ultimately, ultimately you grow and you mature and, you, and ultimately you make your own decision in which direction you want to go, you know, no matter Absolutely. what's being thrown at you, you know? Absolutely. So you're just opening the doors. You're not actually forcing people to walk through them. <laughs> <That's basically laughs> exactly. Not, not at all. Eventually you make the decision whether it, it's kind of like, um, uh, you tell people don't touch the stove club is hot, you know, and then eventually they go like, uh, you don't know what he's talking about. When you touch the stove, Oh yeah, it is hot. So, right. and it's all about the influences on trying to encourage somebody to do the right thing. And it, 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 we've all have done the right thing and we all haven't done the right thing. Let's face it. And, and I'm not going to say I'm, I'm pure and mighty by any stretch. I've, I've experienced a lot of mistakes. Trust me, a lot of mistakes. I can look back and go, you know something? I wish I never did that. But then again, I was able to overcome them and able to realize that, okay, that wasn't the thing to do and rebound, so to speak, and yeah. then come back and try to be bigger and better. And then at the same try, time, try to take somebody with me and try to teach them and tell them that I was once there too as well. And you can either go either way. You know, I always tell the young people, there's two ways in life that you learn your lessons, right? There's two lessons you're going to learn, either the easy way or the hard way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but I think the hard way is the is the absolute way to go. 
uh, I, I found over time that just like you said, the adversities that you encounter, um, the thought processes that you have to develop to overcome certain emotions and certain things, um, just being able to get your ass off the ground when you get knocked down is an incredible trait that unfortunately I don't think many people try to chase nowadays because everything is handed to you now. You know, literally they're bringing groceries to your house. So I, yeah, I, I think that that ability to go through the hard stuff, be able to get punched in your face, fall on the ground and get back up. I, I think that's the one lesson. Well, the one that I give my children at least. Yeah. I hear you. And and, and that makes for that person, to, like you said, if they're going to handle adversity and I've been in all, I've been in mental uh, situation. I've been in physical situations. And you're right, man. When you feel that um, pain being impacted upon you, it's it's a huge difference than someone saying, "Hey, don't do this and don't do that." You don't experience it, and then versus going out there and experiencing it. And so once you experience it, you realize that okay, well, you know, they were right. Or oh, this is like this is the type of pain I don't want to experience again. And right. If I have to do that. Then this is what I'm, this is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to do. And you're right. right. At the, I think the learning of the lesson the hard way. It's but the key about the hard way is, and I tell people, um, personally and professionally, is you have to have that opportunity to rebound because unfortunately, a lot of our young people don't have an opportunity to rebound, and some of them are uh, not here to speak for themselves today. You know, they're not able to re to recover. You know. Yeah, that's absolutely an incredible point that you just hit on. I've actually felt that in my own life and the own stuff that I do where it's, you know, because of my situation, because of my, you know, you know, my skin and because of everything, I need to get this perfect the first time because I don't know how many times I get to try that again. <laughs> it's scary, you know, yeah. because yeah. because if, especially if you have a personal situation where you had a friend that decided to do something or was associated with something yeah. and they didn't have a chance to recover. And, and they went out and they learned the hard way. And unfortunately that they're not here today, you know, then right. that's a, that's a scar and a lesson for someone like you and myself to learn too, where it's like, well, I don't want to go down that path. And I don't want to experience that person experience because I want to be here today. I value life. And I want, I, I feel as though that life has a lot more for me uh, today. And I was thinking about that this morning too. I'm saying to myself that, you know, as I'm getting up in age and stuff like that, but I just wanted to, you know, provide for my family do the best what I can do in the community. Um, however, I can do that. Uh, touch a young person in a, in a manner where that I could um, share with them and my experience, and, and hopefully ingrain in them the the right way to do things. And I have a number of people coming up to me right now that are enjoying the radio station. And right now, it's a unique opportunity to enjoy the radio station because the the establishment or the local media here is shrinking like nobody's business, you know. And yeah. It, it's not as strong as it was when I first arrived here in Worcester. It's 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 like down to little or nothing. And so yeah, let's get into that. Yeah, what's the state of communication? Um, what you know, I'm I'm one of my biggest favorite lines. Uh, I think it's a Mark Twain line. Is you know, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it always rhymes. Um, so you went through all that stuff with the city uh, officials and trying to get everything off the ground. But now you're back in the city. You started a radio station. You kind of seem to have everything that you were working for back then. What's changed since? What has changed basically is when I arrived here, uh, the communication was you had two newspapers. You had the Telegram, you had the Gazette, you had a strong AM station, you had what we'll call it WTAG, and okay. then you had ORC, I think, at the time too as well, another AM station. And when I played in college, um, I had, we had a, a beat writer, they call it, from the Telegram that traveled with us too as well, all over the place. 
So the coverage was everywhere. You know, they had a designated person for City Hall, designated person for all the sports, all the collegiate athletic sports, all the professional sports, all the local news. Everything was covered. Now, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, uh, when the Telegram got disbanded, the Telegram Gazette got disbanded, they went from um, the Gazette, so that went down, and then it went from Telegram, and then that got this, uh, well, Telegram's still existing, but the, the the population of it, as far as people and staff, got yeah. disbanded, and it's down to little nothing. They just recently let six more people go. Three of them I knew um, personally, and very, very good writers, and then the publisher's even gone too. So now it's like, okay, where are you getting your news from? Where's the voice coming from? Who who is sharing what's going on in the community? You know, I had the station, um, we'll say Worcester Magazine was in partnership with me, right? Yeah. And they were like the opposite voice of, we'll say, the Telegram. But guess what? The Telegram um, had the authority or had the uh, were in a position now to buy the Worcester Magazine, and they did due to the nature of how business ran. So now they got gobbled up. So now you're on the auspices of the telegram. So are they really going to have the autonomous voice and be separate from the telegram because they were always at opposition? Or now you have to walk in line with the telegram because now the telegram owns you. Wow. <laughs> when did this happen? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. This happened in 2018. Okay. And so now the following year, 2019, they let everybody go. So it's down to a shell of itself. And now it's basically almost like what I was told almost like an advertising piece, like an insert, it could be for the for the telegram. So now it's only one voice. Like where are the where are the other voices? You know? Right. And, and I don't I I would just take a guess, but I'm I'm gonna go on a limb and say this voice is not for the young. It's an old, older crowd, older views. Is that safe to say or, or are they yeah. up with the times? Well they vote. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> they vote. What do you mean they vote? <laughs> they vote, you know, and if they vote, then that means they, you know, they bring, that's power. You know, this oh, is, okay. Like, got you. The like, political. like the old saying, knowledge is power. Well, if people are voting, you know, that older crowd, they, they move. And when they move, then what happens is they put certain people in office. They put certain people in office, then whatever your needs are, or whatever you stand for, or whatever uh, support you need in the community, then you have a constituent that's going to be, uh, what candidate that's in office that's going to support the city and whatever that case may be. So, but right now it's a unique opportunity for Union Radio uh, to pick up those pieces and be the voice for the black and brown community as well as the community at large because of the fact that the the paper is shrinking uh, and, and it's well known, it's across the country, it's not just in the Worcester community, it's everywhere. Yeah. So where are you going to get your local news from? Where are you going to get that voice from? Where are you going to get that that you know, interest in reference to the community, you know, I, and I tell people too that I don't want the community to be turned into well when it's time for Thanksgiving that we're only good for giving out turkeys, you know. When it's time for Christmas, we're only good for being received the recipient and for toys, and, right. and then all of a sudden they say, okay, well, we did our job, and the rest of the year it's kind of like, okay, business as usual, you know. I think we're more than that um, every day, and because the, the black and brown people the ones that keep this community alive all day long, you know, while while the city and other different people go out and they build these, look up these economic powers around the city or within the city, um, right. expecting the community to support it, you know? Now, if, for better use of the word, has the resistance been there? Have you been facing the, tape, the same type of resistance or is it a lot more um, liberal, for better use of that word? Um, well, what do you, I, would say, I would say I've offered an opportunity 
for for to, to develop a partnership, we'll say, for a number of different media entities. Um, some have taken it and some have not. And the ones that have taken it, they've taken it for a short period of time. But you know what I found out too, uh, because of the nature of the mission of Unity Radio, um, it worked initially for the first few years or so because of the fact that the station ran on automatic pilot and I was commuting out of town and coming back in. So I had people who are hosting and producing programs and had radio experience and production experience. And I just opened up the station. I don't have any radio experience except being interviewed um, as a uh, guest. Yep. But I don't have any radio experience, but I'm learning on the fly. And so it was like, okay, we'll give you content. You give us, uh, you give us the station well, practically and saying, not like that, but that's basically yeah. how, how it was. And so I said, okay. So the station took up a program from 6 a.m. To, to 2 p.m. on a regular basis. I just came in later on in the afternoon after I got off work and cleaned up and then got ready for the next programming the next day. So it ran by itself. But one time it turned, whereas I knew in my heart what the station was about, but my the book was, was showing unity, but the pages were showing a, a different audience of people that were making up the station. And so it was brought to my attention one time when I started go to recruit youth and, and the student said to me, I was at a local college, the student says to me, oh, you need radio, huh? So I'm showing off the website and stuff. It was just done. And I'm featuring um, our host for the show and, and, and as well. And, and they're pretty much, you know, well-known politically, you know, as yep. white collar in the community. But Unity Radio is supposed to be geared toward youth in, in, um, in an urban audience, we'll call it, inner city. And so the student says to me, he goes, <laughs> he goes, oh, well, Union Radio, I'm looking at you. This is interesting. I'm looking at your website. And he goes to me, why do you got these three old white guys on your, on your website? <laughs> <laughs> and this is a white student. <laughs> yeah, it's a valid question. <laughs> it was. But I, I, I knew that. And I didn't say anything because it wasn't mentioned to me. And, and at the time, that's, that's what was the makeup. You know, it's like I'm driving the bus. You know, but my audience is coming from, you know, from a predominantly white group of people who are making up the programming. Yeah. But the bus is, you know, operated by a person of color, you know, yeah. but the people riding it were the people of non-color, you know. And so someone walked on the bus and said, hey, why is this bus made up of all these white people in here? I thought the mission <laughs> of, of the bus was supposed to be about urban and the community. And they were right. And so and then I went home. I was hurt because I knew it. But what could I do at the time? But luckily, I would say luckily, in time, it changed because that that group of people that were on the station uh, eventually found um, a way to go back to the original location where they were operating prior to involving the station. Yep. And, and other people's their personal lives and professional lives changed. So slowly but surely, they started peeling away from the station. And then fortunate enough, I was able to have um, a producer that came in that just wanted to help. And, and he came in and wanted to help and the station changed his life and he wanted to uh, help and he helped. And uh, the station got on track to what it's supposed to be today. And I can tell you one thing, Jose. Yeah. I can tell you a few things, but I can tell you this in particular. I had um, all the prestigious positions in the school, we'll say uh, on the station, we'll say superintendents uh, of schools, we'll say senators, Congress people, school committee members, city, uh, um, city councilors and uh, the manager and the mayor, all oh, the list goes on. 
sounds prestigious and flattering when you're starting a, a community-based radio station. Yeah. But but the audience I have right now, grassroots, grounded, um, true to the heart to the community people that work hard every day. I have the station is more popular now by the grassroots people than I had when all those people that were so-called, you know, um, I wouldn't say so-called, but they are in high positions. There's more of a uh, reaction on the station now than I had when I had all the high-end officials on the station. Uh, yeah, I think it's that that separation in culture. I mean, it's just one of those things where, you know, somebody who doesn't have, quote-unquote, their ear to the ground, right, which these higher, you know, people don't have because of the nature of their career, but they're just so far detached that when you hear them speak on a radio or any type of platform and you're, you know, and, and you're, let's say, urban again, and you're from the urban culture, it, it just, it sounds tone deaf 99% of the time. I can't relate to any of it. It was funny you should say that because it was evident in our numbers, you know, our numbers showed that, okay, when that group was on with me for a year and a half or so, okay, I call it the establishment, we'll say, you know, like a better description. When they yep. were on and they had a number of different people coming to, oh, it's great, oh, the mayor's coming in, oh, the city manager's coming in, oh, the city councilor's coming in, oh, the school's, uh, uh, school committee member's coming in, oh, the president of this company's coming in, and, and the list went on and on and on. Sure. All prestigious and sounded nice and stuff. And don't forget, I'm starting a grassroots station and um, and it was flattering. But then look, hindsight being 2020, I look back and I reflect back, actually, and I look at where it is today and where it was before. It, it, it's not even, there's no comparison. And in reference to the numbers and the reaction and the respect we're getting for the station now when hitting the real people, uh, if you will, in the community, and the people that are appearing on the show, we're, we're featuring businesses. We have a partnership with the Latin American Business Organization. We have nice. sports. We have human interest shows. It's about people. It's about the local businesses and the small businesses. And, and I tell you, our numbers don't lie, man. We're, our numbers are up there crazy right now that people are listening and are watching as we do Facebook Live than it did when we had the, the establishment. It's just, just, just the way it is. you know. So that's why I'm figuring that, speaking of establishment, the, the main media that's shrinking in this community, we the Unity Radio can only can go but up, hopefully with the support of the people here and, and that they want more of this. And that is to highlight people that are really doing something in the community. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something. Um not only am I super excited to, you know, have you bring that up, but super excited to even be in consideration to even talk to you to work with you. Um because I find that there's a where you know with COVID nineteen and you know the year twenty twenty, I found there was a paradigm shift between the people um, that didn't think they can do it and the people that now are empowered to feel that they they can do it, right? So they want to release this dependency, and they saw in twenty twenty that the elected officials and the you know the bigger structures that they had in place that they depended on for so long were very fragile and they were very weak. And when everything started to fall apart around them, you had this huge part of the population that just you know, faded away and just, you know, let it get the best of them. But then you had a, just as big of a, a, a piece of the population that was like, the hell with this. I need to figure this out. So what I mean to say is, is that I think you're coming in and you're giving them information that actually adds to that fundamental dream, right? Which is, oh, there is a business owner that's just like me. I just heard that person on the radio. Let me get to my business and let me try to do something with myself because it is possible. And when you listen to these mayors and these other individuals, you can tell A, that you're going to get a script and B, you, I can't relate to you being the mayor because I'm just trying to sell T-shirts. Right. 
Well, yeah. you know what's funny? Going back to what you said earlier, yeah. to relying on, on this group. This group, and especially with the person that was in office that continues to be in office until the, the new hands change over, um, the country has experienced, not only locally, but the country at large experienced the type of, well, as I said, I reflect on I see a style print, the, the city officials and the government officials and the politicians of well, they basically left the people abandoned. It's kind of like this whole curse that's upon the country right now. And the country is like sick, basically, yeah. and slowly but surely deteriorating. We're dying right there in front of in front of ourselves, you know? And it's like, there's no, it's, it's scary because there's no plan from the top. Nothing. Right. There's no right. discussion about, hey, how are we going to combat this situation? You know, kind of like several years ago when Obama was in office, when they were trying to figure out the healthcare situation, you know, all you heard was, okay, um, the knocks on it, the pros, the cons on it. They, they work really hard to try to figure out how we're going to come up with a plan. But that was the discussion, a plan. Now it's like you're, you're on your own, you know, to defend for yourself. There's no plan from the top. And they think that coming up now, after you experience, after you drowned, okay, and you're barely surviving and you're underwater with bubbles, and all of a sudden now they want to throw you a string to pull you back up, which is yeah. my metaphor for a stimulus check. You know, it's disgusting. Yeah. Like, that's supposed to like bring us back up, you know, and I equate that as a string. We'll call it even <laughs> tooth floss, you know, to bring you back up to try to see if we can get you to survive. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's no plan. There's nothing in play. You hear more dominance of, oh, it's spread over here. Oh, it's spread over there. And it's dominating this and that. And all you hear is advisors and people who are saying what to do and what not to do. But then you don't have people on the top implementing safety measures to protect the people. And it's like you're on your own, basically. Yeah. That's what that's what what's, what we're living in right now is. Yeah. Is is you're on your own. You know? Yeah, I agree. It's like the Wild West is, is pretty much what it is. But yeah. uh, I agree. The, the problem that I think they have, and what I mean by they, let's just use the word you've been using, the establishment. Um, the power, the problem that they have is this: is that they are so tone deaf that they don't realize that the same people that they think are the victim of the situations are the same people that are comfortable operating in these same situations. So, you know, they may be trying to stuff, stifle people down, uh, especially in the minority areas, but we are built to be able to, to, to work in these areas. And what's going to happen is, is we're going to empower each other. And that's where, what I'm trying to do with the podcast, what you're trying to do with the radio, this is what they're missing. They're missing that, we function well, and this is gonna empower more people to basically be more of a threat to them. Well, what you're just saying is something that's been going through time, and it seems as though they have ignored that. They haven't figured that out. That no matter what you throw at us, you know that's what we've lived through and how to handle adversity. Yeah. And establishment, how they handle adversity is when they get when they get everything and anything they want, they can care less about anybody else, right? But right. as soon as they get into hard times, they either buy their way out. Or either B, they use us to buy themselves out or to get themselves out of a situation by, by throwing um, carrots in front of us by saying, uh, here, if you help me, then you can get this. Well, I'm saying, well, why can't I get that in the first place? Why do right. I have to be in a situation whereas now that you're stuck and now you're in my situation, now all of a sudden you're going to open up the floodgates and say, okay, now all these opportunities are going to come our way. But then as soon as you get comfortable and get safe again and there's no threat, then you're going to cut those resources off and go back to business as usual. That's the right. part I don't like, you know? 
Right. I think the the the, the most commercial example of that recently was uh, the NFL with Jay Z. <laughs> it's like you guys got you guys got yourself into some shit. Uh, with the whole Kaepernick situation, you got really deep. All of a sudden, you know, you know, back, Black Lives Matter comes back, George Floyd situation, and let's go get the big mogul black guy to bail us out of the situation. <laughs> right, and, and, and then and then some people were for him. Then some people said, "What are you doing?" You know. And now it's to the point. Whereas speaking of that, back then he had it was it was it was a multitude of people that were, but majority was was were black um, that were fighting for the cause. Now there's such a multitude uh, of people that are fighting to support the black cause that businesses are recognized, large businesses are recognized that you know something, it's good business to support black. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Absolutely. Before it was kind of like, uh, it's them versus us, and it wasn't good business to support that because if you supported that entity, you would lose business. Now it's like they realize that the young people have come out and fight. Uh, and, and support of, of the black culture, they found out that, you know something? This is good business now. So now you've never heard them say in grants or an advertisement on social media, designated resources designed just to help blacks, you know? Right. Uh, come up with a script, come up with a grant, come up with describe um, uh, whatever, all these different resources to help the people of color now. You've never heard that before, you know? Yeah. Yeah, what a lot. Well, some of these companies it works out. What a lot of them it seems very ingenuous, um, which actually, in my, in my opinion, you know, taints their image. But a, a, another big part of it to me is is what's dangerous about that is because they're so heavy on the gun when it comes to you know looking politically correct and looking great. Right. That, that's when they fall into that cancel culture reality where. Now you're just empowering random everyday people to cancel everything that you've ever done um, because whatever, because you didn't stand up, because you made an advertisement that was for black people, but your actions in your organization are not for black people. Yeah. And, and it's funny you should say that because one of the things is, is they loosely, it's kind of like the word love. You know, people use, loosely use the word love. Hey, I love you. I love you. I love you. Hey, I love you. So right. on, you know? But, you know, do they genuinely really love you? Uh, you know, is that really heartfelt? Is that really, you know, genuine? Was well, it just kind of like, uh, this feels good in the moment. And it's kind of like the same thing with the establishment. You know, it's kind of like they're throwing it around, whereas they want you to believe that they're about diversity and inclusion. I could tell you one thing, all right? I had a situation where we had an organization that was supporting us, and then um, the agreement ended. And so, uh, and they went with the people that was actually associated with my organization. Uh, another opportunity opened up for them to go back to their entity. And I'm going to be anonymous here. Sure. And so, uh, but then later on, I see that this organization on social media is talking about in, in inclusion and, <laughs> and diversity and stuff. I'm like, wait a second. You had an agreement with, with my organization. Uh, and if you felt that way, why wasn't the contract a, uh, a renewed? B, why did you go off and, and go with the individual that was with our organization? and really exercise and promote it that, that that is strengthening your partnership with that particular individual. Right. And then three, just because you have people of color coming in and speaking at your different engagements and stuff like that, doesn't mean that you're about diversity and inclusion. And then and lastly, if you're going to be about diversity and inclusion, you know what the report card is that I usually use and I would encourage people, if you hear someone talking about diversity and inclusion, especially a white person, check their roster, like a basketball team. If their roster is made up of of, of 
non-African-Americans or brown people and the list goes on, and this is not talking about diversity and inclusion, then you have to really question yourself, are they about diversity and inclusion? Because there's no way you can sit there and say that you're about that and your roster doesn't reflect it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that roster is individuals you've worked with for a long time, so it says a lot more. <laughs> oh, oh, of course, you know, of course. Yeah. And, and it can happen across not only, it can happen across city, uh, uh, government, it can be in um, nonprofit agencies in the community. And let's talk about that too. I'll put it out there. You know, you got nonprofit agencies in the community in this community that serves a wide, large group of black and brown uh, youth. Okay. All right. How many people can you count that are the leaders of those organizations? You name an organization, you throw it out there, and then after that, go check the books and find out um, what person of color is leading an agency. Yeah, I'm sure the numbers are abysmal. Yeah, because the Wilson Business Journal did a survey, almost in a sense, they did 100 businesses in central Massachusetts of nonprofit agencies and organizations. I think they found out of 100, they must have found six people. I think three were maybe Asian, maybe two with Asian descent, one was Chinese descent, and maybe three, maybe one was Spanish, maybe two were Black, if that. Everybody else of, of those agencies, of those popular, well-known agencies that you know on an everyday basis is, is ran by um, non-color, people of non-color. You know? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. about, like I said, if you're talking about diversity and inclusion, then at, you know, I don't see the leadership of that person of the color up there. And is your roster made of that? And is your board made of that? If it's not, and uh, you know, someone needs to be checked or they, they need to be checked you know, on that. Yeah. Now, as somebody personally and my listeners who may be from the area and don't know, um, is there anybody that's pushing for political change that uh, is actually looking out for the minority crowd here in Worcester or is the, ball- <laughs> is the ballot pretty much straightforward? <laughs> uh, there are people, there are organizations that are, that are doing it, at, uh, like, like Black Families Together is an organization that's doing that. And okay. I'm affiliated with that agent organization. And I know that the makeup of the people that are there and they're trying, it's not an official entity, like a nonprofit entity. It's a grassroots entity of, um, of individuals with vast different backgrounds. And they have the title of black families together and they meet, you know, monthly or weekly, uh, in a sense to, dis- to discuss the subjects, the subjects that we're talking about, you know, yep. and it can be effective if, if there's if there's everyone's on the same page, and if everyone goes about carrying out the orders or carrying out the agenda, um, if there is an agenda, or is it just going to be a discussion panel where it's like, okay, what are you going to do? No, what are you going to do? Oh, what are you going to do? Or what do you think we should do? Or what do you think we should do? You know, um, or it's going to be about action. You know, and that's what comes up with these ages, these organizations sometimes, and sometimes. You know, over the years, over the years, you got now you got ancestors and you got you got you have um, the family tree of a number of different individuals that are now talking about it now. But the thing about it is where's the action? Is there action? If there is action, where is it? You know, it or is it gonna be the same old thing? Talk, talk, talk about the issue, talk, talk, talk about the issue, but you're not gonna do anything about it, you know? Or okay. you don't know how to go about how to handle it or, or go about it uh, in in this instance, you know. Right. So in the current state, when it comes to communications, of course, in the current state of Worcester, are you more optimistic than ever, or do you think you're still early in the fight? I would say that I'm, 
I, I, I would be optimistic, but this thing has been going on for a long time. You know, this is ingrained, you know, a long time. And yeah. but the thing about it is, is I've seen when people got together, black and brown people got together and they rallied. I seen it firsthand, experienced it firsthand, that they have the power. And, and you know what's funny? Uh, in a respectful way, funny in the sense that, you know, what's interesting is young people that are college age created these rallies, you know, more often than adults did, you know? Yeah. So they empowered their classmates, they empowered their friends, their family, their peers. And so I see it it can happen. So am I optimistic? Yeah, I'm optimistic, but I'm I'm hopeful too as well. At the same time, I, I, those rallies were started by people, uh, young people. Um, that were in the city, that were in Southbridge, that were in Lemonster, Fitchburg. Young people start these rallies. So it can happen. But once again, my question is, will this start up when it's political season, which is this year? You know, And we've got to find out what political candidates are going to be running. And will this group be available, meaning the power of these individuals and as the masses, will they show up in November? Uh, will yeah. they march to uh, uh, march to the polls in November? And yeah. traditionally, or history has shown, no, they, they don't. It's kind of like a cycle. I've seen the cycle, you know, where people coming in, their 10 to 15 minutes of fame, and they march, and they say all kind of different things in the media and so forth, and the media writes it because it's sensationalized in a sense. And then when it comes to vote, they're not there. Who do you see at the polls? The same people. Know what people they are? from the West side, people that are educated, people that have money and people that know how to rally and get their get their candidate in there uh, into the office. And that same person gets voted right back in there again. And then we do the same thing all over again until something happens. Yeah, it's pretty much free throw practice for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so they say, and I'm pretty sure they sit behind the scenes and say, you know, just sit tight. Yeah, they broke a window or two. Yeah, they're defacing the police cars. Oh, yeah, they're marching on City Hall. Okay, you know, we're going to take the the po- political shame, you know, Yeah. Now. And uh, so you're in office. Okay, you're good. You're in office. Yep, you're good. Are you, your job being threatened? Uh, no, not so far. I'm, I may be embarrassed. Or I may be called out. But so far, so good. Uh, it's not an election season, so we're good. So let's see what happens during election season. Election season, uh, if the same group comes out, they can make a major change, a huge change, a catastrophic change. But will they do that? History has shown, Jose, no. So we'll see this year. Talk to me in November, all right? Let's see what they did back in last summer in in 2020, what they're going to do in the fall, winter of 2021. If they do it, you're going to see change. If they don't, well, it's business as usual until the yeah. next summer, until it gets nice and warm, until the next March. Yeah, they definitely, um, they seem to have that card well where they know that that group is going to run out of fuel eventually. Uh, and, and they have the power, they have the ability to wait it out. Now this year, uh, with, well, last year with 2020 with the COVID, it kind of seems even worse because that same younger crowd that you're speaking of that comes out has kind of been neutered. And what I mean by neutered is, is, they've either been kept away from each other because the schools are shut down or they've um, kind of been, you know, blamed for everything that's happening. I mean, college kids are getting this 
these freaking kids are partying and they're spreading COVID around and they're killing people. So that same crowd that you said comes out not only has been separated from each other, but has been, you know, accused of doing something that they are not doing, in my opinion. Yeah, have you, have you seen that? Some of them have been arrested. Some of them have been accused of uh, gathering and get, getting together. But at the same time, the rally this year may be a little bit different than last year's rally. The last year's rally was the gathering. Okay, This was before uh, the, the virus came out and so forth and so on. So yep. now, but 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 now, okay, you can still rally, you know, this Zoom. Even a four-year-old now knows how to use Zoom now. Everybody right. in the country now is so familiar with Zoom or familiar with virtual right now. We had to have a, a crash course on virtual, you know, uh, across the board. Everyone does virtual right now. Sure. So can you can you rally and galvanize a group of people um, virtually, um, you, effectively? I think you can just as much virtually as you would be able to gather them in person. Can you be just as effective? Yeah. If you find a candidate, right? And then you can sit home here and I can push the button. I can reach 10,000 people. I can reach 500 people. I can reach a thousand people, you know, due yeah. to influences on how you can share and how you can promote and use media. It could be effective. It requires work and strategy, but are we that versed and are we willing to go that extra mile to do that? And like I said, let's check out 2021. Um, November, who marches and who votes, who was willing to come out in the cold and go out and vote. You know, if they do, you're going to see major changes. That's when you're going to see government say, okay, we'll listen now, because if you know that their butts are going to be voted out and they're going to bring other people in, then they're not at the table and they're taking their job. That takes their income. It takes their reputation. It takes their benefits and everything else that goes with that political position. And also too, don't let them fool you. If they know that a political candidate is being threatened for their position in city council or school committee or whatever, they rally behind that person and say, okay, yeah, even though you're voting for me, behind closed door, help help that person stay in office too. Help that person stay in office too. We have to keep this wall up, you know? Interesting. It's like a house of cards pretty much. You know, you have to keep this wall up and we have to keep this force up. You know, if you really want what you want and you're really going to get those things, that person's not going to give it to you. But if you work with us, we'll give it to you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll give it to you. And if you, that's threatened to be off the table if you don't vote for me, you know. So look out for us. And, and what they do, they show up. I see that. I've been at the polls a number of times. I see it. And I don't see a lot of people of color at those polls in November. But I see them, a lot of people of color, marching in uh, in July, in August. You know. Yeah, I sure hope so, for sure. We'll see now what happens. Yeah, well, definitely. Now, we'll, how, do, how, we'll, we'll do we'll do a, a you play this back, you know, uh, and then we'll have a, a another interview again, and then we can reflect back on and take out some of the quotes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, they marched this time. We talked about that. We said, are they going to march in November? Are they going to vote, or do we have political candidates? We don't know. We'll see. It's still early, uh, and we'll see what happens. But then after November, we'll talk about it and say, hey. What happened? We can say, well, they had a political candidate or they didn't. We can say they marched to the poll or they didn't. But history has shown they don't go there. Yeah, yeah, which is a shame and definitely has to be turned around. Now, we can speak about um, other you know, places and, and, and how they've handled it. But specifically, uh, let's stick to Worcester. How do you feel the city has handled COVID? Well... I'm not on the, fight, uh, the fighting lines, you know, or the firing lines out there to um, 
to really answer that. But for what I've read and for what I've seen, um, I find it interesting. Uh, one of the things I noticed was in the very beginning, they used to have um, press announcements, city manager, the health official for the city, and they would update you and, and the mayor too as well. I'm not sure if they're still doing that uh, uh, as of right now, but I, I you would hear Boston's doing it, but I don't recall Worcester kind of doing it anymore yeah. at, at the beginning, given the direction in reference to what's going on and how it's going. All I, all I see or hear is news in reference to the DCU hospital being set up, um, who's getting the vaccine, uh, where to get free testing, and then who's being affected by the virus, and all the and then all the different warnings that's been presented out there, uh, and then that's all I've, I've heard. But I, so I guess they're doing something, you know. But yeah, sure it's led by a leader here in the community. Like I said before, they did have the mayor and city manager and the health doctor official of the city with me. But unfortunately, if you may know, uh, if you haven't heard, city manager now has it or had it by this time. So um, it might change the message that he's not up there because now he has it. So it might change the image of, okay, if if a person is supposed to be out there preventing, uh, talking about prevention, but then they have it themselves, I'm not sure what, what that looks like, you know? Yeah, it looks bad. It looks like um, having a respiratory doctor uh, smell like cigarettes. That's just not a good yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I've been a little bit weirded out. That's why I always like to ask people how they think, you know, their city or, you know, in our situation, our city is doing. Because I, I, I see a very different picture from home. And then I see a very different picture. I work at the uh, Belmont Hospital on, on UMass. I work in the operating room there. Yes. Um, so... I see a different view from the inside and the messages seem to conflict. Um, and I won't get too much into the hospital's messages cause I don't know who can ever hear this. Um, but it definitely seems like there's a lot of, uh, they're sounding a lot of horns that don't need to be sounded is the, is the nicest way that I can say that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think in the very early on, the message was kind of clear across the nation, which is, hey, expect body bags all over the place. Expect right. this thing to kill 10 percent of the people, um, right. which is a crazy number. But over time, you know, the attempts to try to re mimic that message fail because they look stupid every time they continue to try to scare you, if that makes sense. Well, the, 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 is it working? Because every time you turn the page, it's always like it's increasing, it's increasing. It's yeah, in, it's yeah, increasing. But the deaths—they stopped talking about the deaths randomly. I remember in the beginning, it was like a like a, a big focus yeah. on this many people are dying, and the now they, right. yeah, and now the well, just the number alone in, in like every state, and now the emphasis is how many people are infected. Are infected, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So that that's that's different than saying you know once again ten percent of the people are going to die, but. It's 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 weird because I'm still careful. I still respect other people. I'm never the one that's going to fight the mass thing, whether I think it works or not. It just seems pointless to me to not care for other people. That's all it is. It's just care for other people. Um, but you know, what, it, you know what comes to mind though, not to interrupt you. you know what comes no, to mind? Though, it's kind of like <sighs> it's kind of like if, if you really can't relax on the warnings and the threats, and sometimes you may have to make it more than what it is, especially whereas 
if it's increasing and the um, situation is still continuing to be a threatening situation for families and, and, and they know the waves coming, they have Thanksgiving, then they have Christmas, then you have New Year's, and then they say, okay, we'll see what happens after that. Now we have the vaccine. And it's going to take a cycle for the vaccine to kick in and try to, you know, like anything else. It yeah. took a while for the disease to get here and do its thing. So now you got to take a cycle to stop the, the, the curb, this whole thing. And so now you can't go out there and say, oh, it's getting better. Oh, we're doing it because you know what's going to happen? People are naturally going to start relaxing. They're not going to start doing the protocol or the measures and stuff like that. Right. And then, well, you know, you're not going to get this thing under control for years, you know? So I'm thinking that, well, if it's not what it really seems to be and if you're in the right spot, then it's kind of like, okay, I can think that way. But knowing people, especially there's a lot of opposition people that don't even think this thing exists and everything else, and people are still gathering and still people are still partying and still not taking it serious. I would, I could see if, 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 and maybe I'm giving them way too much credit, I could see them over-exaggerating it to make it so that they can still try to put the fear in them, like stop, slow down, allow us to control this thing. And probably yeah. that's why they over-exaggerate the situation, if that's what the case is, you know? Yeah, the, I mean, the, I have a, I mean, and I'll keep them anonymous just to respect their identity, but I have a buddy of mine who's my age, nice and young, goes to the gym every day, great shape. Um, he got his ass kicked and is just getting over it right now. And I'm talking about two ER trips, one of four temperature pretty much all week. So he got his ass kicked. Now I have another buddy, same thing, healthy guy, young guy, whatever, got tested positive and he's absolutely fine. Right. Like it's just one of those things that whatever. So I'm not ignorant enough to say that it doesn't exist. And um, people shouldn't keep following up with the precautions because I think it's extreme to just say it doesn't exist at all. That's just dumb to say, in my opinion. But I, I one thing that I'm really scared of right now, um, in my situation, they don't they're not forcing me to get the vaccine, which is great. That's fantastic because I'm one of the people that actually want to wait and see what's going on. Right. So the the hospital forced the flu shot this year, which is something I usually don't get. And the context behind me not getting it is not because I'm anti-vaccine. All my kids are vaccine. So so have I. Um, and also the fact that I take pride in taking care of my body. Right. So I work out. Yeah, I do my vitamin things. I do all that. So I don't feel I need the flu shot. So they enforced the flu shot. And I was worried that they were going to enforce the COVID shot. Right. So I was worried about that. Thankfully, they are not doing that yet. But this is the new fear that I have now. What's going to end up happening is that they're going to roll into this slow way of getting you to get it. Oh, it's okay. You don't have to get the shot. But if you want to get on this airplane, you need to get the shot. Oh, it's okay. You don't have to get a shot. But if you want to come into this restaurant, then you're going to need to get a shot. And that's my biggest worry now is that eventually they're going to, I've ever, I don't know if this is true, but I've already heard that they give you a certificate of clearance is what they're calling it, meaning that you're good to go if you, you know, were positive and now you're negative. I was going to say to you, well, how would you know if someone is cleared or not cleared? And now you're telling me, and now you're mentioning that right. you're going to walk around. It's kind of like walk around with a birth certificate to say, to verify whether you lived in this, whether you were born here or not, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then not to go down a rabbit hole, but that's the fear is that, you know, you're not going to force people to do anything they don't want to do, right? Because this is America and it'll be unconstitutional. That. But if you continue to shut these businesses down and put these limitations, then you're going to force the business to say, hey, only get people to come in here who have the certificate. And well, that's, if, if that's the case, then people could still, people don't necessarily have, to, well, they have options too. You know, people can still order out and people can still order that groceries can be delivered. Uh, people can still order restaurant food could be delivered. 
Yeah. And so both parties win. I eat and they get the business. You know, I may not be able to go in physically to, to go inside, but that thing could be delivered home. Okay, fine. I'll have it at home, you know. And then matter of fact, you get the and on top of it, you get the business too. If that's what it's gonna come to, you know. It, it the uncertainty of what's going on is it, it's crazy because yeah. slowly but surely America's eroding. Slowly but surely America overall is sick. And so they do history, this has happened, you know. And it's just I just find it funny because right now I just sit home and I chill with my family and I go out when necessary and come back in. And I, I, I teach virtually as well. And um, but when the movies I'm watching, I'm watching a lot of movies from the past that didn't have it. It just reminds you of like, wow, what once what life once used to be. You yeah. Know? You don't see I haven't seen a movie yet where everyone has masks. Obviously, they haven't shot anything. I can't say that. But maybe they did shoot it. But you don't see a lot of people shooting movies that have people with masks on. It's just like a maybe it's not a good look, you know. No, it's not. I'm seeing yeah. movies right now where it's like, wow. We did that back then. Wow, we were able to walk around like that. We was able to touch people. We was able to go into a restaurant like that. They would get into a drive of a car and go down the street and get out and get it. And it's kind of like that was so far removed, you know, from from that. And it's kind of scary where it's all going. So now, as we're trying to get out of this one strand, now they got something coming from the UK or something like that, or from I Russia, heard. yeah, like that already. And then they got another. You know, it's kind of when's this nonsense going to end? You know, if yeah. At all. I th- right, I think if it's up to the just to continue to use the word entities, I think if it's up to the entity, um, it's never going to stop, man. This is the most power they've had in a long time, and uh, it looks like they're taking full fledged advantage of it. Unless there's some some plan behind it, you know, with this group to say, okay, we want to minimize and take out this group of population because our population is overpopulated. We want to get it down to a certain number. Oh, okay, it's down to a certain number. Okay, all right, all right, we're ready to turn around. Right. Let's start speaking on this. Let's start showing some, demonstrating some leadership, you know, and let's start going forward with it. I don't, I'm not, I'm not what the agenda is. Uh, I'm pretty sure the answer's out there if you really look it up and go on the internet and find out what the story is. Yeah. This seems though there's an agenda because in the past, um, there was a department that was in position to flag and catch these things, you know, and we lived under it. And we were fortunate that they reported it and something happened in Africa, something happened in China. Uh, oh yeah, this thing came out it just never reached here. Yeah. You know, and at least in this proportion. And we were, and the only threat we had was like the flu this, the flu that, and the flu you, and flu that, and flu me. You know, that was it. Yeah. Now they shut the whole department down. And it had, it's not, it wasn't because the money, the money was there. They, you know, the previous president's position uh, so that this the, this was in place. They had an apartment special uh, design to catch these things so that this wouldn't happen. But this guy comes in and eliminates the whole thing. And then unfortunately, this gets through kind of like lowering the firewall, removing a firewall from a computer. And this virus comes in and it wreaked havoc. And then on top of it, well, I knew that. And on top of it, um, no plan to defuse and or to combat the situation nationally. Nothing. Just to stand up there, have press conferences all the time. And the press after a while said, you know something? You're not seeing anything. And nothing's going to, we're tired of being asked to go to these press conferences where you just got to be self-fulfilling and what's nonsense. So they got tired after a while and it became nothing. Usually when we had a press conference, it was it was something meaningful. It means that, okay, some news is coming out. But he had it so far frequent uh, and all the time, it was like, it was like a soap opera. It was like a joke, you know? Yeah, yeah, like my it's afternoon talk. No plan. There's nothing still in place to do anything except 
except just get the vaccine out, roll it out. And all, the only plan that says they're saying is, okay, like a totem pole, who gets the priority? Okay, does it is it the patients? Oh yeah, of this age. Oh, is it the uh, practitioners? Oh yeah, is it the politicians? Is it the teachers? Is it the nursing people? It's like, that's their only plan in reference to who, who gets what. But as far as combating it and everything else, collectively as a group, as a nation, you don't hear that. We're still, they, they can't even get together to try to find out how much money they're going to give back. Oh, we're going to do a stimulus check, 600 bucks. Oh, it might go up to 2,000. Oh, it might go back to 600. Oh, oh it's not enough. It, it, it's up and down. It's all over the place, you know? That's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just no leadership. That- yeah, it's bad leadership. Um, you know, like you said earlier here in the Worcester, but in a greater scale, it's just really deep pathways that have been there for a very long time, and they're going to be very hard to 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 dig out and destroy and build new roads. Because uh, you know, you, you've had the same faces there for so long, and they have their agendas, and they have their connections, they have their peers, uh, they have their promises that they made. Uh, I think the disappointing part of that stimulus was not the six hundred dollars, was just all the the money that was in there bloating that's going to go across these for the stupidest causes. Uh, you know, that, that, that anybody could ever think of. Uh, the funny one was, um, you know, a, a certain amount of billions of dollars going to the Gulf coast to see fish fertilize eggs or some bullshit like that. It was very strange. Yeah. 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 Um, well, two is that they're arguing about the fact that, okay, how do you determine who had hardship and who didn't have hardship? Okay. Yeah. So if I didn't have hardship and I'm getting a check versus you, We'll say you had hardship, you legitimately had hardship, you're getting a check. So how do you make that distinction between me versus you in reference to our situations? And that's one of the arguments I kind of heard. Well, we're just going to do this blanket. How about, well, you better be concerned about other things too, because there's a lot of times, and still today, stimulus or no stimulus, there's dead people and people's families that are getting checks still, thinking that they're still alive. Very strange, yeah. Family members are cashing checks or family members that that are no longer with them. You know, so how do you make the distinction between what what if you really want to start trying to police this thing, you know? It's like yeah. enough, enough. If you're gonna do it, you might at this point you might as well do it. If you're not gonna do it, then I don't know what's gonna do because you know, a lot of people are in the hole, you know, in reference to the situation. Just give it a two thousand and just call it a day. Yeah, it, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, uh, they're sloppy. All of them are sloppy. So I'm not even going to give them any credit for doing anything good. I just would say that it's a very tricky situation, especially when it comes to giving, um, you know, the stimulus out. Is it deserving? Of course. People have suffered since the last one, which is March. And this country is crazy. And if you're sending $500 billion to Iran to do something, you can definitely give people $2,000. The problem that I see with it is, which is one of the rabbit holes that I've been going down lately is... Um, the obvious problem with just making money up out of thin air, right? The inflation problem, the problem that although people are getting $2,000 up front, um, the long-term way that this fiat system actually works is that the more inflation, the harder it is going to be for the minorities and the, and, and the, and the poorer people to be able to live going forward. So I know I'm not combating anybody that says that they want their $2,000. We pay taxes, damn it, and we deserve it, and that's fantastic. My thing is is that I hope people that are demanding the $2,000 understand that their life can only get more difficult if they continue to print more money. Right. right? I, I have this story that I bring up usually. Uh, when uh, Obama was administration, um, a lot of older folks that I work with would always tell me, like, hey, man, by the time you get 
to the age of social security, it's not going to be there. It's not going to exist. I heard that too, right? Yeah. So my, my fear and what I thought they were saying was, is that the actual, you know, government entity, social security was not going to exist, but they were actually telling me is, is that if they continue to print this money, like it's nothing, your money that you put there is going to be valueless. It's going to be like a pile of sand and you're not going to be able to do anything with it. Well, the other story is too, sometimes going back to what you said a little earlier, you kind of touched on a little bit, whereas, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some method out there or some theory out there. They're trying to eliminate races, you know, certain groups. And once again, another situation involving race, whereas now this has to involve race, whereas the unfortunate, uh, the uh, disenfranchised, and the list goes on, that who gets the vaccine in or who who, who is getting um, the, the the support in the hospitals, you know. Yeah. And, the, and then that goes into the health disparities. We've already had health disparities with people call it. It's already documented and people yep. black around like that. Absolutely. So now you get something like this. Does that increase those health disparities? And uh, also who gets who gets taken care of? And so the person who doesn't have what we talked about earlier, those those cachet um, people that they know yep. and support, uh, do they go by the wayside versus a person that, that voted and has the... Um, and has the uh, cachet and knows the establishment that's ingrained in the establishment, they seem to get the, are they going to get taken care of versus someone who doesn't vote, who doesn't have that, you know, um, yeah, uh, that, that, that opportunity, you know, right. it, it's, it's always across the party lines of, in reference to haves and have nots. And it's a shame and it's too bad that everything comes down to that, the haves versus the have nots, you know? It's a very strange world there. Yeah. Now, I mean, you're um, you're older than me. Is this is there a certain time in your lifetime that you can relate what's going on to, or is this uncharted territory? We've never seen this. It's kind of like uncharted, but then again, you know, the measles earlier. When, you know, I was born in the '60s, so the measles, you know, uh, or the mumps, you know, yeah. at the time uh, was an issue. It was contagious. I remember. I think I caught that one time too. You know, it was contagious like that. But since then you know through history you talk about it since then there's a lot of diseases that have come out but like i said there were there were there were catch bases uh in place there sure. were resources in place to um catch these things before they came over here now what happened was that the analogy i used earlier is, is kind of like a, a, a firewall in your computer that you know you turned off the firewall so now the viruses this virus came in and it came into the country and they knew it and not only did they know it I would think that, okay, I made a mistake, it's here, but we're going to do something about it. But you dismantle the whole thing in reference to, because it was under somebody else's name that they did that. So you dismantled the whole, you disbanded the whole organization. Very um, weird. So yeah. what? Anything that had Obama's name on it, was like, we're going to take that, we're going to, we're going to tear that apart. Healthcare, take it apart. Even though they said that, even though healthcare, even though it says Obama's name, was actually created by, by, by the, um, by the uh, Republicans, it's just that they just put his name on it. <laughs> right. Know, you know, so it wasn't a Democratic thing. It was a Republican thing. But since his name is on it, it's kind of like, okay, we're going to eliminate this thing too as well. And, but I'm going to promise you, according to that person, I'm going to promise you that we're going to have something else in this place. All right. So you're trying to prove that this doesn't work. You're trying to prove that it's no good. But yet at the same time, you're claiming that you're going to have an alternative for it and you don't have an alternative for it. This is how crazy it is, you know. It's insane. Take something yeah. away, and you don't have no better plan. Leave it in place till you're able to create something better. 
but you haven't not only not only have you not created something better, you haven't created anything at all. Right. I'm I'm sure the majority can see that that's ego at hand. Ego playing his best card there. Oh, sure. it's crazy. But, the, but but in the world, history has shown we've all been through all kind of crazy different things. It's just that it's just sad that we're living it now. And hopefully, you know, knock on wood, we can live through it. Unfortunately, a lot of people haven't been able to do that, you know, and bless them and right. uh, rest in peace. But at the same time, I don't know what the future holds because there's no leadership. So the only way you can determine leadership and to see what happens is you have, you have to wait till after the 20th because they're still fighting, determining whether the whether whether Biden won or, or, or not. They're still fighting that thing, still trying to take it to court, still you know spending money left and right to try to prove that he didn't win. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, and trying to try to, trying to build a coop in the process. I mean, I, I don't I don't really get into all that stuff. Uh, I do lightly, like politics and stuff. But it, it's very obvious that when you're trying to build a coop, this is exactly what you do to rile up the troops. Um, it, it's the only thing that I can see. Um, yeah, he's doing it behind the scenes now because now he, he doesn't want his hands on it. You know, he doesn't want his face on it. So he's he's, he's setting everybody else to be the focus. You know, yeah, yeah. Like McConnell is is to be the focus. So now all of a sudden, he didn't sign at first meaning the guy that's in the office. But then later on, oh, he signs it. And it's kind of, oh, he finally signed it. But now all of a sudden, yeah, he signed it. What does that really mean? Well, now it's switched over to uh, the other House representatives. And so now the attention is on them. So the attention is now off of him. Yeah, yeah. So but don't know behind the scenes that he says, okay, I'll sign it. But we all know that even though the president signed it, he still has to go past the House of Representatives. But you guys say no. <laughs> yeah such a so you would think the most you know the area of business that needs to be the most professional and organized is that scene right there and it's probably the most unorganized anywhere it's, um it's, it's insane yeah, it's it, it cost people lives you know absolutely cost people lives and it's unfortunate so the only thing you have to really measure anything of anything of, of some type of pin light of hope is you got to see what happens after the 20th. Once you get rid of this other guy, get him out, and then allow this other person to come in with his team and then come up with a strategic plan. They say he's just as worse, if not worse, but at least I would say to a certain degree, it seems as though that he has some, he has some, uh, some I'm going to say wholesomeness. I'd say at least he has um, some um there's a word that's that's usually used out there some, some humanity <laughs> yeah right 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 less <laughs> ego for sure humanity yeah because i know he, they're trying to go after his son because of all the crazy and stuff you know i don't even care if his son's out there doing whatever i'm not saying i'm condoning it his son's doing whatever with another country and they're giving him all this money because he's on the board of this and the board of that what there's nothing any different than what's happening over here you know but yeah as far as what's going on as far as the country wise and what we're going through at least maybe he might show some humanity and get this thing under control, but we won't know until after the 20th of January, you know? Yeah, you're right. I mean, in, in, in the near term, I don't, you know, the popular opinion out there, I agree with, I, I don't know if he's going to make it in the near term. I mean, the, the guy looks like he's definitely not aged well and right. he, he definitely looks like he's falling apart. So I, I don't know, Ernie, I'm, 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 I'm younger. I, I've never seen anything like this. This is uncharted territory for me. I don't even have anything to relate it to, to be honest. Right. Um, only, only, only thing I do, man, is I pray every day, you know, you find someone, you get, you know, you get under something that's uh, a good Bible um, praying church or something of that nature, if you're religion at all, you take care of your family the best of your ability. 
and you, you just try to be safe as best your ability, and you try to find something to distract so that you're not focused entirely on this whole thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like stuff you see in the movies where everyone's just bunkered into the house and can't go outside, you know? And it's like, I see tumbleweeds blowing down the street, you know? Like yeah, that. right. It, it, one, a city that was once hustling and bustling, now it's just like a, a ghost town, you know? Because yeah. inside, because of the fact that, you know, the ghost out there is is killing people, you know? So now it's like, and then who knows? You know, well, you kind of get an idea, but what about the poor kids that disrupted their lives at an early age, you know? Oh, yeah. I have a, a 10 year old that I think about. They're going through, you know? Yeah, I have a 10 year old that I think about um, hourly. I mean, minute by minute, I think about, wow, what this girl has lost. Um, I also have an eight year old and I have a few teenagers, but the 10 year old is the one that strikes me as, oh my gosh, like this is where she's supposed to be hanging out with her buddies, her friends, playing on the playground, learning, you know, how to incorporate with other people. And she's stuck at home with us adults um, and a screen. Uh, and I worry about her a lot for sure. Right, exactly. Yeah, so think about it, you have to minister to her and administer to her and then try to encourage the other group to stay solid and all like that too so and you have to kind of like balance it a little bit because sometimes the person that's that's really struggling you give them a lot of time you give them a lot of time but the person that isn't kind of giving the signs of struggle uh, they are feeling the effects but just that they're able to be a little stronger but you don't fall asleep on that person either as well because um because you know it's shown that if you give all the attention to one person, it could be adverse effects to somebody else too. Cause they can look at it. It's like, well, you're giving that person all the attention and yeah. I need attention too. They all need attention, but at there's degrees, you know? So. Yeah. They all need attention and they're always paying attention, which is something that I, you oh know, they, I, me and my, me and my wife has tried very hard to just stay strong during this situation, especially my wife. Um, you know, she's one of the ones that have to transition from teacher now to daytime worker to all this, all these things. Um, but just, I always try to remind her that they're watching, just try not to break, at least not in front of them. Try not to break, exactly. try not to break. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah but that's something that hopefully, you know, sneaking in, you know, it's like, Get a meal and that makes you happy. Watch a game that makes you happy. Watch a movie that's going to make you happy. Um, you got to do a checkpoint with everybody after every few hours. You know, let's do something that we really like. Okay, let's all watch a movie together. Let's have some fun. Okay, let's have something. You got to be creative. At least something out of each day to keep everything checked until finally, maybe after something starts to show signs of, oh, things are getting better, you know? Yeah. Definitely. A lot of work, you know, mentally and physically. But you know, in the end, you have no choice about the matter. You know, it has to be done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We only control what we have control of. Um, Ernie, I, I could do this forever. Um, and hopefully this ain't the last time we're going to speak. I don't oh, think it, right. I don't think it will be. Um, please let the listeners know where they can listen to the radio station, where they can get any, any information that's helpful to them. Oh, sure. Our station, if it's on the, I call it on the outside, uh, which is over the airwaves, is 97.9 FM. And in the inside, I say that, and we're streaming at www.wuty979fm.org. In other words, .org. And you can go there. We have a number of grassroots programs that's there. And our team is growing. And we're starting to get between 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We, we uh, cover the talk circuit after 6 p.m. or so. We try to do music between 6 p.m. to like 6 a.m. And we're, we're starting to increase our different genres on the music. And then um, and we're talking as early as today 
on how to try to try to be more of a vehicle to support the people in the community through either sports or through news or human interest stories and entertainment. So we're looking to recruit people that are interested in getting on the team. We want to build a huge team and um, to, to create this vehicle and to be an effort uh, to create something for our own, you know, and then this is Unity Radio. You know, that, and the slogan is called, is, is stated as Worcester's Community Connection, Unity Radio, Worcester's Community Connection. So I love it. I'll definitely put all the links inside of the description for uh, the audience to get to. Uh, Ernie, I appreciate everything that you do. I appreciate everything that you've done and stood for. Uh, look forward to, you know, talking to you and partnering you up, seeing if I could help the cause in any way, shape or form. And most importantly, thank you for the most important thing that we have in this world. And that's your time uh, for giving me and coming on the show and talking to me. I appreciate it. No, and thank you. And likewise, it goes both ways, you know, and I'm looking forward to you joining us and we're looking for others to join the team. Um, I've already got, as I said earlier, the rocks and tomatoes thrown at me. I already cleared the path. <laughs> so we have a station that's official, you know, and we're looking for more soldiers uh, to come on board and, and fight the and fight the fight, you know, and not just that, but come up with some ideas and stuff that we need to put on the station to create some uh, to create um, the information that's necessary to get out to the people. You know, I don't know everything, but I'm willing to learn. And I created the station, so I welcome everybody and anyone who has some production experience or has some ideas that they think the station can flourish in order to serve the people of Worcester. I'm on board. Love it. Knowledge is power. All right, Ernie, thank you so much, man. Thank you, you too. Peace. Another great conversation in the books. I hope you guys really get what I get out of people that are able to do selfless things and help others instead of, you know, prioritizing themselves. I appreciate that and I learned a lot from that. As always, guys, please rate, share, and subscribe this episode. It's the only way I can continue to have the conversations I love to have and you can continue to get the conversations that you love to listen to. Until next time, stay safe. Later.